So I think it's really important also, you know how clients after they get treated, they're like, oh my gosh, you're a miracle worker. You're so wonderful to really hand that back to them as well and go, actually, that was your miracle inside your body. That was your organic intelligence. You know, I gave it a little push and it said yes. So that's not me, that's you. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. You're no doubt familiar with the famous phrase, we can't solve the problems of today with the solutions of yesterday. It's an appeal to being open-minded and receptive, and on the surface, it's inspirational and it's promising. But here's the thing. It's precisely our previous solutions that have engendered today's problem. It was our previous flash of insight and inspiration that woke us up to a new possibility. And that solution has been the basis of our success that's brought us to this particular moment with all of its unique challenges. And in grand yin-yang transformation, today's problems are often the result of yesterday's solutions. This is not a failure on our part. In fact, it's a success. But if you think that success means an end to your problems, you're wrong. Because with success comes a new set of higher order problems. And it's hard, it's really hard to let go of what's been working because, well, it's been working so dang well. Up, of course, and to the point where it didn't. And that is when we find ourselves hamstrung by our own good work. Because what got us to here isn't going to get us to there. Take a look at where you're struggling right now, in your practice, in your business, or even relationship. I've found that as much as I like the idea of beginner's mind, the actual experience of it can be downright unpleasant. And it's unpleasant because we have to get all softened up enough to let go of what has previously helped us. I don't know about you, but I know for myself it takes some pretty serious blows of cognitive dissonance before I'm ready to embrace the unknown of beginner's mind and let go of that mantra of if I push just a little harder on this stuff that's helped in the past, then it's going to be okay. There seems to be this gap, a, a liminal space, between working out of the old paradigm and getting some traction on the new one. Our maps and models of the world have to soften and come apart enough so that we can see how our current contradictions are really just two sides of a higher order. We have to soften up enough so that we can get some clarity on how what's worked previously is not taking us in the direction that we want to go right now. This liminal space allows the unfiltered perception of beginner's mind. If you're feeling disoriented, anxious, frustrated, but also with an odd sense of rightness about how it all feels wrong, then you're on the right track. There's no skipping over or fast forwarding through this territory of coming unraveled. Leaning in and letting go of our well-earned sense of stability and accomplishment is part of the terrible contradiction of this time. It's hard to know if things are falling apart or coming together. And here's one thing I've discovered. No, actually, there's two. The first is that there's another side to this phase of liminal change, and it's worth the trip. And the second is that it will give you a more stable fortitude so that you can accompany your patients through their journey as well. In a moment, we're going to get into a conversation about that palpable sense that something beyond words is happening in the sacred space of clinic. David White, the poet and philosopher, started out as a biologist, but found that the language of science wasn't big enough to include what he was observing and feeling about the natural world. And so he turned to poetry. 
And it's in that spirit that Esther Plattner and I discuss the sense beyond words that often accompanies us in our clinical work. Life, healing, and unfolding requires more. It requires much more than scientific or theoretical language. We'll be getting into that in a moment, but first, some learning opportunities and messages from our sponsors that I think you're going to find helpful. All y'all that have been waiting for the introduction to Sa'am class, it's coming in April, the 18th and 19th. We're going to be just north of New York City. The Sa'am method pairs the channels and the organs in a way that lets you simultaneously attend to both the five phases and the six confirmations. And there's an aspect of constitutional diagnosis that can help you to readily dial in an effective treatment for your patients. And for you herbalists, this method can also be helpful in both clarifying your herbal diagnosis and you can use all your knowledge and experience that you've gained with your herbal practice to help inform your acupuncture diagnosis and treatment as well. Finally, for those of you who see patients in a community clinic setting, the Sa'am method lends itself to that environment as you're only using the transport points of the extremities. For more about using Sa'am in the community clinic, visit chiological.com cc for a webinar conversation with Toby and myself. And to sign up for the class in New York, visit the website, look under the courses menu. For you hashtag herb geeks, the 2020 Shenlong Society East Asian Herbal Medicine Conference is coming up March 21st and 22nd in New York City. If herbal medicine is your thing, you'll want to know all about this. And even if it's not, there's plenty to pique your interest, like the discussion panel on how religious traditions and bioscience influence our clinical practice. This year, Volker Scheid will be the featured presenter Volker's work is rooted in almost 40 years of clinic mixed with a background in anthropology, along with a sophisticated understanding of Chinese medicine history. On Sunday, he'll be teaching a class on menstrual disorders from the perspective of Chinese medicine anatomy, physiology, and pathology, along with a look at how the uterus relates to the liver, the sea of blood, and the extraordinary vessels. Additionally, Volker will be sharing his perspective on metapractice, which he describes as a way of thinking about the pluralistic theories and styles that many of us have studied and how to incorporate them into our practice without diminishing any one particular method. Join us in person or live stream it to your living room. For more information about all of this, visit ShenNongSociety.org. Did you know that too many choices can overwhelm and stall your decision-making process? It's true. How do you decide what to recommend to your patients who want supplements or herbs? A good rule of thumb? Seek out products that are as close to nature as possible. Real mushrooms are pure organic mushrooms. There's no grain. There's no fillers. Thanks to Real Mushrooms for sponsoring today's show. You can place your order with Real Mushrooms now and get exclusive professional pricing and a complimentary 10-pack of their 5 Defenders chocolate while the supplies last. Text Real Mushrooms, all one word, to the number 33777 and get the details. You know, a podcast is really a two-way conversation in slow motion. While it looks like a broadcast, what I've noticed is that as people listen and talk about the shows here, there's a conversation that slowly ripples through our community. 
I am grateful to all of you for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends. If you'd like to show some support for Geological, please leave a review on iTunes and write a few words about how the podcast has been helpful in your practice. You can also become a geologician and support the podcast with a monthly or yearly subscription. I deeply appreciate all the support I receive in this endeavor, and I wouldn't be able to do this without you. In addition to the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping to keep everything in motion here at the Geological Sound in Motion Laboratory, we also have some extra content and goodies for our members, including a complimentary podcast course every year for those of you with an annual membership. Finally, one more thing for those of you who would like to be on the podcast, you can now go to our contact page and click on the Pitch Us button and tell us about what you'd like to share on the podcast with our community. All right, friends, let's get into today's conversation about some of the stuff we work with in clinic that doesn't lend itself so easily to language. Esther Platner, welcome to Geological. Thank you, Michael. I'm so honored to be here. I'm delighted to have you. We've talked a bit about getting you on the show. We've had some contact through some Sa'am classes and some other conversations. And one of the things that's come up in our conversations is that there's this kind of thing that happens in clinic, right? Like, I mean, we're doing our treatments, but there's there's like something that can happen in the room. Yes, absolutely. I think that we all feel it. And the reason that we can't really define it is because it's not something of the 3D world. It's not something that really belongs to words. You know, we have the advantage now that science is kind of caught up to our medicine. The, <laughs> it's right? so cool, isn't it? Yeah, we see it happening all the time. Exactly. And it's it's really rewarding, actually, to me, for my mind, really loves that quantum physics is now basically speaking about the foundation of our medicine, that what we know about the quantum world is that there is a place or something called a zero point field. And that is the place of infinite possibilities that underlies all manifestation. And the way that they came about this was uh, quantum physicists were looking at nothingness. They were looking at a vacuum at absolute zero, which theoretically nothing should be able to live there. And I mean, how can you even look at something that's like right. zero? Right? I mean, how do you do that with our sensing apparatus? Uh, you know, I mean, so that part, the that quantum physicists have the tools and the wherewithal within their brains to observe and grok. Some of this stuff is really quite incredible because, you know, what they were looking at was not what they expected. What they found was a teeming sea of energy that was made up of waves. You know, they were surprised and yet they could accept it. You know, they it's like, wow, there's evidence here of this underlying matrix. And I think that when we're tuned in ourselves that and we're in our clinics, which, you know, fortunately we're already set up a field of healing that we are able to touch that place and hold that place for our clients. Because that infinite field of possibilities, actually the, the other fascinating thing about it is that they realize that what changes a wave, which is energy, into a particle, which is manifestation, is the observer. 
And even more interesting is that the perception of the observer has all to do with the direction of the manifestation. So we have people coming into our clinic with, you know, different perceptions of themselves and experience of their life to date. And it's our job to hold a space that we can see more possibilities. We can see and hold the space of infinite possibilities for them so that they will have their own inner possibility of feeling, experiencing something different. And I, I do believe our medicine is magnificent in that. I would agree. Our medicine, I think a lot of medicines actually can be magnificent in that way if you're attending from that particular perspective. You know, I find it interesting. So often people come in with acupuncture, and I don't know about you out in California, but I know here in the Midwest, we're famous for treating pain. I mean, let's just take this down to some nuts and bolts for a moment. We're famous for treating pain. Often people don't know that acupuncture treats many, many other things. Pain is their ticket in, right? It's like a simple thing. It's like, I want my knee fixed. I want my knee not to hurt. You know, it's like, I want, I want to get back to playing tennis. My elbow hurts. So often we are trained in looking at pathology and we're trained to fix things, which, I mean, we should be able to help people with things like this. And there's this kind of economic agreement that we've got that we're going to trade some time and money and we're going to be able to help people with fixing very physical day-to-day -day things. And yet... I find so often people might have something going on with their knee, and yet there's all this other stuff that's attached to it. Right. I think that's where we have a huge advantage. I mean, consider even if someone just comes in and they have a knee problem and our intention is to help them feel better. But you can't really do Chinese medicine or uh, Asian medicine without creating some kind of balance, right? Because each time we put a needle in, it's like we're throwing a pebble in the pond of their field. And so each point has its own resonance. And it's not going to just heal a knee. It's going to send out a wave of resonance that is more harmonic than the one where there was pain. And I think that's just such a huge gift because we are in body, mind, spirit medicine. And it's a wonderful entry, right? Like you might just enter, the person comes in, my knee hurts, and we're taking a history and there is all this other stuff. And we may feel that they're open to seeing a bigger picture, but let's say for instance, they're not. And that's okay because when we start working with our needles and we help them resonate at a, at I'll say a higher level or a more congruent level, you know, if you don't have your focus on pain, then there's more space for other things to happen. The focus on pain really puts us in a real small focus, right? It's like a convergent focus. Like I am focusing on my pain. I hurt. That's not really a space of feeling open-heartedness and there's a big world where people I can connect to. It's, this is me, this is my pain. And as we dig a little deeper, we might find that it is connected to many things. You know, it might be an earlier injury. It might be some emotional energy that got stuck. It may be many things, but yet we've been given a doorway to enter in with that person 
to create more expansiveness in their field. Well, I'm thinking to something you just said a moment ago about how there is this field of possibility. The observers observing collapses the possibilities into one reality. And even somebody with knee pain, if things are more coherent, so to speak, maybe they're able to let go of that one perception. Absolutely. And I, I know that in my practice, I do a lot of talking with people and whatever, meeting them as best I can where they're at. Mm-hmm. And Do you get accused of being a psychotherapist in your practice? Oh, yes. <laughs> I get it all the time, You know, people too. come and say, I know you're not my psychotherapist, but <laughs> they're off to the races with, you know, what's going on for them. Mm-hmm. And how fortunate for us that we actually have a, a legitimate space to perhaps, you know, interact and add some words that do land. As if I can say before, we were talking briefly before this conversation, and you said the word authenticity to me. And that just dropped into my heart, and it expanded my field. And I I think that that happens with our clients, with our needles, but also with our words. Oh, absolutely. I I have had... More than a few. And in fact, I come to expect it on a regular basis at this point. It just keeps showing up where somebody will say something in the room. It might be the, it might be the patient. It might be me. It doesn't matter who says it. Something gets said and something gets heard and the room just feels different. And I think to myself, oh, we're already halfway there or maybe more. Right. And often those moments will clarify the diagnosis as well. Absolutely. I think that's so true. We're always in this energetic matrix, right? And it's so um, malleable and it's so beautiful that there can be a moment like that that changes the energetic field and then everything's ripe and ready for a change. You know, I I remember when um, I was in the Psalm class and Toby gave me a treatment and I have to say the most potent thing about the treatment, he, he tonified my bladder. And prior to that, he was explaining to us that, you know, you, you know, you don't want to just add all that freezing cold water to someone unless it's really necessary. And I've always thought of myself, and I am cold, but I was having these headaches that were in the bladder channel. So he said to me, when he said, oh, I'm going to tonify your bladder, I was thinking, oh, and he said, oh, you can handle it. You're really hardy. Okay. That was the treatment for me. <laughs> ah, I, knowing you have that capacity. I was like, whoa, I'm a hardy person. And honestly, it made a huge impact because now I think of myself as a hardy person, which I thought of myself before as a very delicate flower. Well, guess what? <laughs> I have new information. That was such a huge gift to me. This is great. I'm, I'm curious about this. Here you've had this idea that you're a delicate flower. Somebody suggests that you're hardy. If there wasn't hardiness, there would have been no place for that to land. You may not have been in touch with the hardiness. I'm just curious to know if you can go back to that. Maybe we can dig into this a little bit. What came up for you about that made you say, yes, I am hardy. How did you know that was true? I think you you said it, it because it is true. You know, when things land that are true, that's when we feel that shift and change in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not being talked into it. It's 
because it actually is there and it's named, yes. you just go, oh yeah, right. And I'm, I must have had some fertile ground for that seed to land and sprout so quickly. And it's partially my trust in Toby. And what happens when we, when we land on something that's true, which actually, when you think about it, each one of the acupuncture points are a particular resonance to wake up a truth with inside of us. So, Ooh, I like that idea. Yeah. And what an amazing tool. So we're like, like chiming the, the resonance of something that we've basically, our clients have forgotten. And we're waking up that truth inside them as that needle resonates that particular frequency. I mean, we have such a host of, of beautifulness in that. I, I would say one of the um, greatest things about my five element training, the Worsley style, was learning the spirit of the points. Because then like kidney six, illuminated C, you know, that helps to illuminate just not the clarity of our water element, but the clarity of our vision. You know, I was like, wow, that, that's a whole nother feeling for the point. So as I needle that point with the recognition of what that vibration, what that resonance, what that information is adding to the system, um, then I can also hold that better for the client. You know, I can add that information in with my own knowingness, I guess it would be, my own feeling for acknowledgement of that truth that already exists inside them. Yeah. Well, and I think to our familiarity with certain points, I, I think we all get friendly with certain points. We kind of we kind of get them. For example, lung six is a good friend of mine. I use lung six for all kinds of different things. I kind of get what it can do. It can do a lot of different things. It can it can open up the lung. It can open up the large intestine. It's very good at clearing different kinds of stagnation. It shows up a lot in my practice. And it's because I've got this certain kind of affinity for it, I guess, is probably the best way to say it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. There's probably something about it, too, that is very useful to you personally in your body. Yes, yes, exactly. There is that. Yeah, right? Because you, you mm -hmm. have the experience of that point in your body. I think we get to know first the stuff that we know. In a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, it's one reason I, I love to learn because I find that I can get used to something or habitual if I don't keep kind of inspiring myself with new ways of looking. It's not so much the information, though I love the information. It's like, oh, let me look through this window and see what, how that looks. And let me look through this window. And hopefully not getting too tangled up in the logistics of it and still holding my, my perception of the field, of the quantum field, so that I'm listening, but yet being able to apply those tools in a really effective way. You really have fun with this stuff, don't you? I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's really obvious. It's, you know, I mean, what, what a great field we're in. We get to um, tinker in people's <laughs> energy fields, you know, in a way to create in the best of our ability to create more harmony and resonance, we get to, in that process, organize ourselves more deeply. We get to put drops of, hopefully, goodness, uh, more healing for the planet. You know, every time we treat a person, we're not just treating a person, right? 
we're treating their ecosystem and how their ecosystem works with their friends, their families, partners, associates, and on and on. And so the only way that this world is going to survive, I believe, is if we all get together and somehow become more resonant and more whole. And so we we can do our, our little part in that every time someone comes in and it's mutually beneficial for us as a practitioner and for them. And so we're in a kind of a sustainable field. We have been using this term field and I'd like to dig a little deeper into that because some folks may not know exactly what we're talking about. So if you can give us a little bit of background on your sense of, of field, where it comes from, and how you've found your way into this. This is not something that we get in you know, Chinese Medicine 101. Probably don't hear about it in Chinese Medicine School. Tell us more about how you came to this, and then we'll get more into, you know, later we'll get more into how it informs your, your work. But where does this come from? So I actually think it comes from practicing our medicine. When I started reading a bit about quantum physics, I was tickled, like I said, because I found that it really does give explanation to the way energy works. I mean, the, a field in itself is just a region of influence. I like that definition. A region of influence. Yeah, it's and, and so there are multiple fields, right? Like if you walk into, we feel this all the time, right? We walk into a space and we have a sense about it. It has a field of energy. It has a field of influence. And we're sensing that. So I've always been really liking the sense that, you know, when people walk into my office, it's called Inner Spring Center for Health. Um, when we designed it and came up with that concept, I wasn't really talking about a field in those words, but I was recognizing that I wanted a space where people would come off the street and feel that they were in an inner spring. They could walk away from their lives for a minute and have a different experience. So it seemed like a, a, a very natural um, kind of continuum to when I started reading about quantum physics and going, whoa, we are quantum physicians. I mean, this is what we're doing when I started looking more into the zero-point field, I mean, it really is not different than the Taoist kind of principle that there's an intrinsic order of nature that underlies everything, that organizes and unites and informs all manifestation. So to me, like, oh, that, that is really the same thing. There are people that I've kind of studied with and followed, like, Lynn McTaggart, she wrote a book called The Field. That's a wonderful book. It's it's really discusses the evolution of quantum physics. And so as I read it, again, I was just like, wow, this is what our medicine is made of. It's, it's I won't call it a fun book. Exactly. It is, but there's a lot um, of information if someone's interested in how quantum physics developed and also the numerous... Um, experiments that were done by scientists that were also pretty skeptical about something existing. And this was like a hundred years oh, ago. Oh yeah, I think. Yeah, I, this is. It's. I mean, it's amazing to me that a hundred years ago, there were people that were on this threshold of going, "Oh my God, the universe is weirder than we could even imagine." Right. 
I mean, I think like 1925 was kind of the birth of quantum physics, you know, and that was a long time ago. No, it's 100 years is, well, well it's you know, in our lifetime, you know, yeah. in a human life expanse, that's a little while. But in, you know, in the big scheme of things, it's the blink of an eye. That's true. And it's so curious to me how the hardest of the sciences, physics, down at the quantum level, they're, you know, they're looking and going, it's potential, it's not a thing, and yet it hasn't really filtered down into medicine or business or relationships. I mean, there's so many places it hasn't quite filtered down into. We still, by and large, are hanging out with that Newtonian, we're just looking at formed reality. Yes, it is surprising. And I, I do think, you know, uh, not to sound too woo-woo, but as we're in the Aquarian age, it's time. It's, you know, we know that there's so much polarization right now in our world. And so rather than things being coming together and the yin and the yang being interdependent in the way that makes for health, we're having polarization. Um, but on the other hand, there is the other movement, right? Where people are talking about this. Uh, there are, you know, Joe Dispenza and Bruce Lipton. I mean, these are these are people that are out there kind of speaking the gospel of wholeness, you know? One thing that I think is really vital because of this gap and because we see it's easy to get distressed that you know, Western medicine still seems very obtuse in terms of this issue is not to get stuck on that, to continue to put our attention where we want energy to go. And this goes back to that quantum field, right? If we want to have a different kind of outcome in our world, we we have to see it. We have to be it. We have to cultivate that place where we can synchronize within ourselves where our yin and yang can be harmonious so that we can view, see, and live in a world that feels more congruent to us. Um, I'm not saying to, to put blinders on. Um, I am saying to spend time cultivating the place where we can feel wholeness within ourselves. You know, in terms of our nervous system, if a person in fight or flight, uh, high sympathetic dominance is, not, is gonna be in a 3D world we're going to be in, in the place of fight or flight or possibly freeze. The only way to really grow, shift, change is to go back into that deep parasympathetic resting uh, state. I think you know about the polyvagal theory. Uh, mm, yeah, it's been... A couple of guests lately have been talking about it on the show. It's come to my attention in about the past year. It's extraordinary. It really is, and it, it, it's it's extraordinary and for me in several ways. One is that we're already wired with everything we need to experience these states of, of oneness, including in, in the nervous system. So the polyvagal is a binary system within the parasympathetic nervous system. And there's the ventral vagal, which interestingly enough is innervates the facial expression, circulation to the face, heart and lungs. When we're in that place of, it's really uh, experience of safety, we are able to sit in our hearts, expand our hearts. You know, it regulates the breathing and it brings expression into our face. And then the dorsal vagal is actually innervates below the diaphragm. 
And if it's working by itself, you can see a state of freeze, collapse and freeze. However, when the ventral vagal teams with the dorsal vagal, then you have the state of meditation, which is kind of this balance of inward quietness as well as relationship outward. And to be able to um, cultivate that state, and it really is a state that is um, in, our, in our physiology, that allows us to come into the place where we are more harmonious, we're more radiant, where we are able to you know, live in the home of our heart. I mean, when you really think about in Chinese medicine, you know, what is the heart? The emperor mm -hmm. and the empress. Where the shen is stored. And yes, and it's, you know, if we have a benevolent ruler that isn't running around trying to take care of things that they shouldn't need to take care of, then you have a, a ruler that is looking, ruling from the heart, that the considerations, the decisions that are made for their kingdom are made with the knowledge of reciprocity of the energy flowing out and energy flowing in, something that is beneficial to everybody. I mean, this is the state to cultivate. This is a place where where our physiology can, we can really appreciate that, you know, being able to understand that, notice that, have ways to come back into alignment and be in this, the place where repair happens, where restoration happens. And, and really in the quantum field, it doesn't actually have to take any time because that's a a no time space place living in the in this world we more likely do take our time because we see things in relationship to time and space but actually in that field you know why people get spontaneous remissions of things is because somehow some way they stepped out of their old footprint their old perception of themselves and into a new one yeah entirely well this explains something that people say in my clinic on a regular basis, which is they'll say, how long have I been in here? I have no sense of time. Or they'll say, wow, that was fast, even though it was a half an hour. I've been joking with patients lately and saying, well, you know, acupuncture does bend time. Yes. It's a fun thing to say. But what you're talking about here, of being able to abide in that timelessness a whole bunch of patterns drop away then because things are usually bound in time. The other thing that you said that, that really got my attention was that when we are in fight and flight, we are only focused on the manifest three-dimensional world. We don't have access to the rest of it. And, and so often people will ask me, how does acupuncture work? I'm telling you, I thought by this point in my career I'd have a good answer for that, but I don't. And it just gets weirder and harder to try to explain it. But what I do find myself saying a lot these days is that acupuncture allows you to go to that restful place that you just told me that you were in. And your body and your mind can reset itself down there. Absolutely. I think that, that and, is... And that seems to... People seem to buy that explanation. And I think they buy it because it's a true experience. Exactly. Like we we're saying before, you know, what, what is true can more easily land. Yes. 
And, you know, and, and even if it's just latent, like I'm thinking earlier, you were talking about the experience you had with Toby treating your urinary bladder channel and you're already cold, but oh no, actually I'm hardy, right? There's, there's a, there's a part of you that's hardy that didn't know it was hardy. It just took a moment of recognition, right? And, and so often I think when people fall into that deep parasympathetic, they kind of come out of time and space in a way. I can't believe I'm talking like this, but I am. But really, it seems like they're coming out of time and space. Something can settle for a moment. And then when they come back, it's a little bit different. They're on a different trajectory. Right. And you think, you know, if you change just one degree of trajectory, they're, they're going to continue on a whole different path. So, you know, how, how lovely. And, and it can happen in what, whatever degrees are digestible for them. There's a amount of self-regulation, like, how, you know, sometimes people have spontaneous remissions, but they haven't caught up to it yet. I don't think one is either or is better spontaneous or, you know, long-lasting healing process. But there is something about really integrating our experience. So they come out of a treatment a little bit different with a different information uh, really on a deep cellular level. Yes, we do talk to our clients and things land from there. But there's also the advantage of not talking. When the needles are in and they're doing their work, there's something beyond that drops beyond the mind, a place uh, that happens without us basically being able to block it. We can, of course, mind is very powerful. And if we go back to our old habits, possibly we'll just revert back. And yet something, like you said, something changes that's really at such a deep level that there's a good probability that that life will be a little bit different. The practice of medicine is an art, but managing a business, that requires a whole different skill set. I so appreciate vendors who support our practice by being dependable, knowing their stuff, and most importantly, just making a really good product. Real Mushrooms brings 40 years of mushroom growing experience to produce pure organic extracts to get your patients the benefits that they deserve. In addition to professional pricing, Chiological listeners can receive a special small batch chocolate delight. It features sustainable heirloom cacao and Real Mushrooms 5 Defender Mushroom Formula. Mm-mm-mm. Functional bliss. Text Real Mushrooms, all one word, to the number 33777 for details on this offer. Thanks to Real Mushrooms for being a geological sponsor. And now let's get back to the rest of today's show. I like the phrase that you used, digestible. And, and I think this is important because most systems, all systems of life, have this homeostasis. Homeostasis does not mean healthy balance necessarily. It just means the system is set in a certain way. It's got a strong set point. This is, this is how it functions. Is it optimal? It may not be optimal. This is where I think like dosage and digestibility, so to speak, is important because if you push too hard on the homeostatic mechanism, it's going to bounce back. And it's going to bounce back quick. But if you can 
shifted just a little. Maybe it hardly even notices that there was a shift. There's just like a gentle shift. And it's, again, digestible, able to take in. It's like, oh, I can make that part of me now. Now you've got a, a slightly different homeostatic balance. Whereas if you're asking the system to make a gigantic leap all at once, well, there are those people that have spontaneous remissions. But I, I would think by and large, that homeostasis that keeps all of us going is going to push against that and bring up some resistance. Yeah, I I agree. We have to be able to digest our experience in order to make it usable to us, right? To distribute the, the nutrients that we get from that. When someone is highly traumatized, really their their homeostatic mechanism is usually gets busted up. So sometimes the the first step is just having people recognize that the compensatory mechanisms that they've chosen um, up to date were very useful to them, even though they don't appear to be. Let's say even someone who smokes and they're like, oh, you know, I shouldn't be smoking. I don't know why I do this. And the place to always start, I find with people is to accept what is. Like to come to some embrace with ourselves that at every moment we are doing the best we can. And then there's so much potential for new things to happen. I don't even want to say that we're doing, you know, that anything is wrong. It's just some things serve better than others. And some, some adaptations are outdated. And so when we can help people, even that, like digest the fact that where they are now is just where they are now, and that's perfect. And then our trajectory is to support them in, in having tools within them to move into new territory. So I really like that idea of outdated adaptations. Yeah, it happens, right? I, I mean, it, of course it, I mean, we have this phrase in English, right? What got you to here is not going to get you to there. <laughs> exactly. Right. Super true. Yeah. And you know how much time I know I do, and perhaps you do too, I talk to people about just, places where they can love themselves more. Oh my goodness. I, I find myself on a regular basis. I guess you could say I'm reframing. I'm not really trying to reframe. I'm just recognizing something that maybe they don't see, but they'll often come in and they'll complain about something uh, as being a problem. And I will think to myself, oh my God, this is not a problem. This is your superpower. This is something that's actually really helpful for you but you're like i really love that first spider-man movie it was like years ago already where he gets bit by the spider and he's like starting to get his spider-man powers and he's starting to swing between buildings and things but he's smashing into walls all the time and he's falling off his stuff and i mean he's banging the hell out of himself because he's got this thing but he doesn't know how to use it yet yeah that's great and I think often our patients have something that is vital and helpful, and it's, it's right about them, but they don't see it as right about them, or they just don't know how to inhabit it in a way that's helpful. Right. And I think the reframing is, is so potent because they probably just haven't thought of it that way. And when you say it, and it does land because it is true, then something else starts to happen. Well, I like to put it out there to find out if it might be true, because it just might be an idea that I've got and it's wrong. 
But if I put it out to them and then, and then I watch their reaction, I'll get a sense of if it's true or not. Because, you know, we all make things up, you know, and, and have hypotheses that don't hold water. If you put it out and watch the reaction to it, you'll get a sense of if you're on track or not. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And sometimes people aren't ready to hear certain things. Uh, it's my guess that loving oneself is in all cases a good idea, you know, and embracing oneself <laughs> where they are is probably probably a good idea. You know, I accept that I could easily be wrong. I've been wrong about many things. And in that, finding ways to cultivate that that uh, are acceptable, doable, absorbable, um, it's, it's kind of interesting. This is where I, I really love science. So um, there's something called telomeres, and telomeres are the basically what holds the DNA strands together at the ends of the DNA strands. It's like sort of like the plastic thing on a shoelace. And when DNA replicates, uh, we lose a bit of the telomeres. And it was thought that the length of the telomeres was would equate to a person's longevity. But th what they found out is that one of the things that keeps the the length of the telomeres is self-love. What? How did they figure that yeah. out? That's You know, the, I mean, again, like there have been so many experiments and I'm not really good at citing dates and names, honestly. But uh, again, Lynn McTaggart's book, uh, Bruce Lipton, they're both, you know, they're both researchers. And Joe Dispenza too. They've done so much science, they have so much scientific data where they're putting leads on people's heads and tracking their brain waves and tracking their the coherence of their heart and lungs and looking at DNA. And so the summation of that work says that self-love actually creates more longevity, more vibrance, more life force. And, and well, if, if you enjoy being here, you'll probably want to be here longer. Right. I mean, exactly that, right? If you're loving yourself, then you're telling yourselves like, hey, this is really cool. Let's keep doing this. Yeah, keep making more healthy cells because this is this is cool. And you'll probably have healthier relationships and you'll probably have better relationships and you'll probably have more interesting work and all kinds of things because you're coming at it from the perspective of this is good and this is helpful and this feels connective. Yes. I think, again, that's where we're really privileged to be interacting with people we get to help ourselves as we help other people to continue to re-regulate <laughs> into that. Yeah, there there are days I feel like, oh my goodness, I should be paying this patient because there's there's just something that comes back in exchange. I mean, there are times I get done treating someone, I've got way more energy when I'm done. And then there's the patients where you treat them and you're like totally depleted afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's another, if I can, another little quantum physics phenomena that I, I love, um, which is, you know, when waves interfere with one another, like we absolutely affect one another. I mean, you know, a very simple way of calling it is uh, good vibes and bad vibes. Let's say again, let's look at a, a clear pond and you drop a pebble in the pond and there are waves that go out from that and you drop another pebble in the pond and there are waves that go out from that. When those two waves meet each other, if they're coherent, they will create more energy. They'll trough together and, you know, go up and down. And you can imagine if two waves are troughing together and descending together, that there's a momentum that happens. There's actually more life force in that. 
versus if they're incoherent, they'll cancel each other out. Less life force. Some years ago, I, I had two clients that I really was not, they, I did not enjoy uh, treating them. And they would walk in the door and I would cringe. I'm like, this right. cannot oh, God, be good. <laughs> this cannot be good for anyone. <laughs> so I said, universe, please only send people that I love. And within a month, they were both gone. I didn't fire them. The universe took them away. <laughs> now the people that show up seem to be people that I just can easily love. People that I, you know, I can drop in and feel their essence and appreciate like the uniqueness of each of those people. And, and as I see them, that my heart rather opens than closes down. And then again, that makes me just in, in a better state that I can hold a, a frequency that is more useful to them. And our clients will entrain, like we all entrain to one another. I think it was right. heart math that... Right. And it, yes, I think it was. Well, I think it's, it's been shown in a number of ways. But I just think that we know this from, well, like right now we're having this conversation, we're entrained in a certain way. Yes. Right. And so we, you know, we get more of, of the thing that improves that entrainment. I mean, improves probably not the right word, but it helps sustain that entrainment. Yeah. If we're both excited about the same thing and we're, we're riding our own waves together, adding more energy into something that makes us excited and happy. And so we get to increase energy together and explore new territory together. I mean, what really, what's better than that? I don't know. (laughs) that, That for me is just like one of the best gifts that we have with each other. I'm thinking here at a, uh, kind of practice management level. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring this down and ground it a little bit because I like having my feet solidly on the ground. I remember earlier in my practice, I had this idea that, oh, I can treat anybody and I want to treat anybody. I got this great medicine and I can heal the whole world. And uh, I think within the first five, seven years of practice, that got beaten out of me by the universe. I mean, I, that really got beaten out of me. I, I had some real crazy people walk into my clinic, um, partly because it was downtown at the Pike Place Market in Seattle. And so there are all kinds of interesting folks that would come by. And some were really not the right fit for what I do or what I'm capable of, for that matter, or what would be helpful for them. I learned through experience painfully gained that there are certain people, and I just cannot help them. I cannot help you if you are schizophrenic. I just... I can't do that. And I would learn to recognize people as they walked in the door. It would just be this feeling. And, and I could recognize it's like, this is someone that I can't help. And I would just move them right out. I would just like walk up, greet them, have a word or two, and shuffle them along. Good for you. I mean, seriously, good for you. And, and I only learned that because one day I let one of those people talk to me for an hour I had to close early and go home. I mean, I was, I was wiped out. And I realized after that, there's this energetic fit that if it's there, then I can work all day. But there are folks that, because it's not a fit, you're talking about how waves cancel each other. It's very important to not engage in those kinds of relationships. And I, and I just learned it on a practice management basis of I need to get through my day and this person over here, I know I can't help them, so off you go. Later, 
I started to recognize, oh, I can talk to someone on the phone and know if we're going to work well together or not. Yeah. That's such a good skill, right? I mean, that... Well, it, come, it comes through time and iteration. Yes. You know, I, I've had a, a kind of a, a, a different experience that was also challenging, which is I have two people in mind right now that came in my clinic and I actually felt extra care for them so much that I was really invested in the outcome. And that didn't go well either. One woman, she was uh, in her later 70s, had had a stroke. She really didn't have much uh, present time memory, just long-term memories. Um, Just such a love of a person. And I felt so and feel so deeply about caring about her. And uh, she came in with trigeminal neuralgia and I so wanted to help her. So initially, actually, the treatments went really well. And then she went away for a while, had dental work, came back. And on the backswing, just nothing I did would work. And I was so frustrated. And, you know, finally, I, I referred them out because I say them because she always came with her husband. She loved coming because she was treated well and loved. But her trigeminal neuralgia was still there. And I was like, wow, like this is kind of the opposite entry place of being attached to my attachment really was not helpful. It's kind of interesting. And, you know, it can go, I think, from either door, like we aren't going to be able to maybe disappear everybody's, their pain or, you know, whatever they come in for. There is this kind of healthy respect, right, to interact and then and let it go and let their, their path be their path. And and you're right, you know, some people just, we, we aren't a good fit. And how lovely that you know that so quickly. Uh, well, I do now. Yeah. I, I, it, it got beaten into yeah. me. <laughs> that <laughs> that me. works. <laughs> it got beaten into me. Yeah. But, you know, you just brought something up, and I, I think this is very helpful. Attachment is most likely going to get in the way. You know, we can have appreciation. We can have connection. We can have love. Attachment? Attachment, I have found, generally will cause problems. Yeah. Then I was trying to use my brain instead of, you know, all those other mechanisms where we're really connected and and using our tools, but from a a deeper place. And I would, you know, then I was just throwing out, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. And And it felt bad. It just felt, it just feels wrong and bad (laughs) to do that until I finally said, okay, you can't keep hammering at this. And I even had her come in for free then because I'm like, I can't charge her because she's not getting improved. And then I just, yeah. So the attachment, that was such a good lesson for me to realize like the attachment, it just takes us in the opposite direction of where we want to go. It's not helpful to our clients. It's not helpful for us. And yes, not everybody is going to um, heal the way they, the way we think they should heal. I mean, who knows what that interaction does? You know, we hope there's some, the, some, some waves of uh, helpfulness happen from even one interaction or a phone call or whatever. But either way, it's, it's not up to us. Yeah, it, it's a funny place where we stand because we need to be very present with the work that we do. And, and we are entitled to do the work we do. But the fruits of that work, that's out of our hands. You know, at one level, it's like, oh, that's how it works. And yet here we are 
living in this modern world that we live in, and the social contract agreement is, I'm coming in because you're going to fix me. I like to kind of set that straight in the beginning in this way that I talk a lot about lifestyle and how at least 90% of our health has to do with lifestyle. So I like to hand that back to the person and I do give some guidance in that realm uh, for diet and just, you know, sleep habits and exercise. And so I think it's really important also, you know how clients after they get treated, they're like, oh my gosh, you're a miracle worker. You're so wonderful to really hand that back to them as well and go, actually, that was your miracle inside your body. That was your organic intelligence. You know, I gave it a little push and it said, yes. So that's not me. That's you. And um, yeah, I, I think the hubris that can come from thinking we did it. I, I know that I have stepped in that bear trap more than a few times over the years. It never works well. No, it never ends well. And and that again on the on the flip side of that, I probably stepped into the not good enough uh, footprint many times, and that doesn't work well either. <laughs> so right, you know, right. Either side of yeah. it is is a very um, egotistical approach, right? I mean, then we're, mm -hmm. again, we're back. One's excess, one's deficiency. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a really difficult question since you were just talking about lifestyle and such. Super hard question. Ready for it? Ready. What is health? Oh, such a great question. I'm going to say health with a capital H is something that is organically alive, in us all the time, something that we have access to. So that means that also in terms of our homeostatic state that we're able to shift appropriately between yin and yang, that we have enough fluidity in us to accept things that feel pleasant and unpleasant, that we have tools that help us calibrate and recalibrate ourselves to something that feels better, maybe not even great, just better. Does that answer your sort of answer a difficult question? It's a question that I've been holding lately because even though I'm a healthcare worker, so to speak, I mean, a really good definition of health, I used to think I knew what it was. And the longer I go, the less I'm sure about it. There's something our friend Toby said one day that's really stuck with me. He says, you know what You know what health feels like? What's health feel like? What's perfect health feel like? And I'm like, uh, huh. Scratching my head. He, and he looks at me and he goes, it feels like nothing at all. There's just an ease of how life unfolds. And that's health. It's only when it starts to come out of balance and you've got this digestive thing or this headache thing or a menstrual, whatever it is. That's when you start to notice things. That I, I love but that. But when it's all in, in alignment, it's just, we're just motoring along. And I think this is why sometimes people will completely get amnesia about the very thing that brought them into our practice. I mean, I've had people come in, I ask, and I say, how's your back pain? And they go, well, you know, about the same. And, and I'll ask them more detailed questions about where it is and the intensity and this and that. And they're like, oh, I don't have any of that, right? They've just completely forgotten it. But I think it's hard to be aware of something when it's not present. 
And because they fall back into that state of just coherence and being and getting on with things, it's just gone. And it's gone from their mind. That's the best, right? I think so. I'm kind of toggling now when I uh, when people come in as to what to say in that I don't necessarily want to say how's your back pain because I don't want to go backwards in time. So I usually say something like, how are you doing today? Or what can I do for you today? And I put today because it's today. You know, because I, I might want some clarification on something, sort of like you said, so I can understand where to go on something they've talked about. And I don't lead with it. So I can get a better sense of today because sometimes when, like if I ask someone, how's your back pain? Then they're referencing the, on the other side, they might be referencing, they go back to, they can go back to the past rather than what's current. Like right. they'll go tell the right. story. And then they bring the past into the future, into the present. And now we're back yeah. to square one. So, so rather yeah. than dragging that story forward, at least to start saying, well, you know, how are you today? And what can I do for you today? And yeah, it's that. I think it's a great way. I, I start my uh, return office calls the exact same way. It's because I'm also curious just to know what's up for you now. Where are you now? Who are you now? Right. That at least opens up possibility for, um, you know, entering into and acknowledging that we're always entering to into a new point with that person. Like uh, the person never comes back exactly the same. We can't, right? Because things change and shift all the time. And so that also, for me, really, I, I have to require myself to be, uh, not put them in a, peg them as this is a person with this illness or that's that illness or, you know what I mean? Like to have, on some level, have the knowledge, the experience of what's done what, and also to see them freshly in my own eyes. That can really be a challenge, can't it? It can. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, particularly... You know, if someone's come for a while and they've had something that, you know, I've been working on with them and I just have to remind myself, it's like, okay, this, you know, our, our medicine isn't about treating illnesses. This person is not a back pain. They're a person. And what we're really treating is the internal environment. We're, we're treating, igniting the capital H health in their body so that that environment becomes better and then it will do what it'll do. I find that uh, it takes my own refresh. I have to hit my own refresh button often. Mm -hmm. How do you keep yourself sort of centered and focused and and present in the way that we've been talking about? You know, life is full of so many distractions and and kerfuffles and, you know, just life in general can so easily get in the way. How do you keep your feet on the ground and your heart in your in, in your work? Um, a couple of things. I, you know, I think meditation is important. I stopped doing it for a while. And then when I restarted, I was like, well, that was crazy to stop that. Again, I'm in training myself to some a state that I want to hold, not just in my practice, but in my life. And then my clinic is, um, I think we, we've talked about this before, that our clinics are our sacred spaces. The good news is that, you know, when we we have the opportunity to set up so when we walk in that door, um, we know what we're there to do, to be. 
and that the troubles of the world stand outside that door. Part of that practice inside the clinic for me is using something I, I learned in my cranial sacral work, and that's called practitioner fulcrums. And um, so I, I recheck this many times in the day that I'm sitting back into my spine so that my I feel myself presently in my spine. Um, one reason that really works well is because that, you know, that's basically our vertical connector to heaven and earth. You know, when we go from an egg and a sperm, become one one cell, and then we become two, there's a north and south polar body. Yeah, and basically, the first thing we start, that happens. Right? And we take mm -hmm. shape around that. Mm -hmm. So that's our heaven and earth pole <laughs> that becomes our, our drill tube. And so being able to drop back into my spine and anchor deeply into the earth and open up to the heavens, the crown. And then there's a, a place in the head called the straight sinus, which basically goes from approximately do 16 to yintang. Um, it's actually a vessel. Um, if you draw a line from do 16 to yintang and you go about a third of the way forward from the back, um, there's a straight sinus. And dropping my attention back there in my spine and back there allows me to have a very um, large focus. It's like I'm sitting in my my light tower looking out at the broad horizon. And when I'm looking at it out at the broad horizon, then I'm not focused into a very, you know, small pinpointed convergent viewpoint. I'm sitting in a broad viewpoint, which also actually just doing that creates a, a different brain waves. You know, then I'm sitting in an alpha. I'm listening to you describe this. And as I listen to you describe it, I'm experiencing it in my own body and noticing that it feels quieter and more expansive, just bringing the attention a little bit into that changes, changes the focus. You want to hear something really funny? And this and this just came up in my mind. This is like dredged up from a long time ago. Years ago, when I was in Seattle, I was in my mid-20s. A lot of my friends were seeing this local acupuncturist who would put pins in the ears and he prescribed stinky herbs. And, and they were all getting good results for things. I was having respiratory issues, which is eventually what took me to acupuncture. But I remember going to see this cat. And I was so pissed off. I was so angry because I didn't get pins in my ears. I didn't get herbs. He just put his finger on do 16. He put his other finger. I'm just remembering this. Holy smokes. He put his other finger on yin tang and he kind of massage is kind of like, just kind of connected them up. Just like you do this like gentle massage back and forth. He says, this is all you need to do. You just do this yourself. This is all you need to do. And I thought, who the who the hell is this guy? That's stupid, right? That's dumb. Yeah, this guy's a quack. And I'd completely forgotten that I'd had that experience until this moment. Well, I guess that seed just landed and sprouted. <laughs> well, God, it only took 40 years. Isn't that awesome, though? Like how that, that you remember that. Like that's a snapshot, right? That comes from oh, seriously, 40 years yeah, ago. I love that. Oh, my God. That's oh. so great. Some things really take time. Yeah, definitely. Fortunately... We have time. Well, so far so good. <laughs> right? Uh, and getting not dead, yeah. not dead yet. <laughs> and getting better. Let's and face get, it. Yes, getting I better. Getting better. Yeah, I would say so. That's the beauty of it. 
I want to pivot just for a moment. Uh, I know that a lot of new practitioners and students listen to this podcast. And I'm wondering if there's something in what we've talked about today that you could sort of distill and share with new practitioners about what we've been talking about today and how they might be able to start working with themselves to to work in this way, to, to be aware of these fields, to be aware of themselves, um, and how they might be able to bring this sense of connection into their practice. Um, absolutely. I think, first of all, to realize that the studying part is really important uh, in time that becomes more second nature, and that as important as that knowledge is the our cultivation of our own energy. So spending time, however one does that, whether it be meditating, being in nature, to make sure to put that in as part of our our path to being good practitioners. Um, I also love the the fulcrums because they're easy. Uh, I always thought if there's any class that I would like to teach to students, it would be how to negotiate space with their clients, which simply means that we know where we are and we have an idea where they are and we sit back in those fulcrums and then we meet them where they are. If we're diving into another person's energy field, uh, probing and looking, um, there's going to be a retraction. If we're sitting back and we're sitting in the broad horizon and allowing the information to come to us rather than go after it, I think we get much better sight, much better information. Invitations are more powerful They've, than commands, aren't they? They really are. And, and also, you know, I mean, after what, 33 years, I, I have a greater and greater respect for every needle that I, the privilege of putting a needle in someone, that that's not a nothing, that's every needle is meaningful. And, and just to honor and recognize that. Well, thank you so much for sitting down for this conversation today. It's always a delight to, to hang with you, and I appreciate uh, the time that we got to spend together today. Thank you, Michael. I so appreciate you and what you offer and your authenticity and evoking that in us and having these wonderful discussions for our field. Thank you so much. Anyone who's worked any length of time in clinic knows that healing is rarely a linear process. And there's something intangible and yet very present that often shows up in the work. Our Western material mindset often balks at this aspect of medicine, but it's nonetheless present. And so I appreciate being able to have conversations like the one today with Esther and last week's with Michael, for that matter. You know, we begin learning something about the Shen in our school curriculum, but it's really in our clinical practice that we get a visceral feel for it. If you listen this far into the podcast, you're clearly a hashtag diehard Geological fan. Thank you so much for allowing Geological to be a part of your life. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday for something else deliciously Geological. Geological.